There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And we are back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix, Howard Beck, with a new cast of characters joining us for part two of the Sports Illustrated NBA mega podcast. The co-hosts of The Crossover are here, Chris and Howard, the co-hosts of Open Floor, Chris Herring, and live from his dorm room in Central Florida, Rohan (laughs) Nadkarni. Rohan, uh, glad you could join us from... uh, I am podcasting... As God intended, from my parents' house. Okay, that's oh. there's no truer form of podcasting. Wait, is it a basement? Uh, Are you podcasting from there, the basement like a blogger? No, there are no basements in Florida, unfortunately. But if science willing, I would have been in a basement if if possible. But yeah, you know, it's I'm podcasting the old-fashioned way, gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Well, the first uh, part of this uh, mega podcast was over on the Open Floor feed. Uh, that was our Western Conference preview. Now we're going to do a little Eastern Conference storylines as we get geared up for the start of the NBA season on Tuesday night. And fellas, we got to begin in Brooklyn, which is going to be a fascinating case study all season long. Like the Nets have what I feel is like the highest ceiling, maybe, of any team in the league. They also have potentially the lowest floor of any contender in the league because God knows how all these personalities mesh. God knows if Steve Nash can coach them. God knows what Kyrie Irving's going to wake up thinking on any given day. So, Howard, I want to start with you then on, on the Nets, and I guess we'll frame it this way. As you get ready for this season, with all the dust settling on everything that happened in the offseason, do you look at the Nets as a contender or a pretender as we begin this season? I think they're a contender until further notice. So the backdrop of the summer is is as ghastly as it gets, raises a thousand questions. But they're all back, and there's no outward signs right now that anybody is kind of, you know, just dragging themselves through practices and shootarounds and games. Like, there's the discontent that led to... Um, 
Kevin Durant's trade request that uh, was wrapped up perhaps or not perhaps in Kyrie's wanting an extension that he didn't get. Whatever the misgivings, the bad feelings, the bad mojo, what, it, it's not clear right now. And granted, it's sometimes hard to tell because this team is so weird anyway. But uh, until we actually see some cracks in them as they're constructed playing games, as opposed to just the theater of the offseason, then I'm going to look at them on, based on their talent. And their talent, as you said at Mannix, is as great as anybody's got in, in a big three. Now, Ben Simmons has never played with these guys except in the preseason. Um, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant haven't exactly, you know, had great success together so far in Brooklyn, but the, the last three years have been choppy to say the least. James Harden coming and going, bubble, Durant injury, Kyrie injury, Harden injuries, all of it. I, they're almost a blank slate, but I'm not going to evaluate them based on what was going on in July with Kevin Durant's trade request. They're all here. And it looks like they're all playing as hard as you would normally expect them to play in a preseason. So for now, they're contenders. They've got stars. They've got playmaking. They've got Ben Simmons, who's a, you know, a Swiss Army knife defensively. They've got great shooters in, in Seth Curry and Joe Harris. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty solid. And it's not as though the other contenders don't have their own caveats, albeit not quite as spectacular. Yeah, I just want to I want to lean on the expertise of one of the most famous basketball writers of all time. His name's Howard Beck, who said earlier this <laughs> summer, I remember when Kobe and Shaq hated each other and they were at each other's throats and the Lakers kept the team together and they made the NBA finals. We'll remember Kobe Bryant famously tried to leave the Lakers uh in two thousand in the late two thousands. They keep him, they trade for Pau Gasol, uh, end up winning two more championships. Listen, I'm with Howard. There's the theater of the offseason, then there's what they can be on the floor. And on the floor, I'm about to say something insane. I think they're like a Dwight Howard away from potentially just running away from the rest of the East, okay? Uh, I think their they're five-man lineup of Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant has the potential to be, you know, you think about what the Celtics did last year with kind of this really switchable group. I think this Nets version has to be a potentially an amped up version of that group. I just think they need more front court depth. But you look at who they could bring off the bench, Seth Curry, uh, TJ Warren. I'm really intrigued about what TJ Warren uh, could possibly bring them. They're going to be in the mix for buyout guys. Uh, just looking at on the court, uh, you know, Simmons at the end of the day, he's finally playing the role we've all wanted him to play. He's not, he doesn't have to handle the ball. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about a seven footer who needs post touches uh, clogging up the paint. I think there's a lot of potential here for them to be really, really good. And even amid all the drama, I mean, even amid all the James Harden drama from two years ago uh, when, you know, he joins the team, amid the drama last year when he's trying to get the trade out, when the guys have been on the floor outside of that Celtic series where KD looked gassed, they've generally played well together. So I, I'm, I, I, I swing wildly back and forth on this team, but I, I'm describing myself as in an in period right now, I'm all in on the Nets. I think they have a chance to be fantastic. I really do. Which, as crazy as it sounds, like I think they could be, they could ball. I do want to circle back to something that has been mentioned, but I think it's getting glossed over a little bit. And I just think it'll be something interesting to watch. Uh, <laughs> for all the stuff that Durant said over the summer, or not publicly, but just obviously through the trade request, uh, he wanted Steve Nash out. Uh, one of Sean Marks out. Uh, <laughs> there were a lot of people that from the outside looking in weren't necessarily angry that he wanted Steve Nash out <laughs> because Steve Nash did not really do all that well, in my opinion. Certainly not in the playoffs uh, where, you know, ISO after ISO, we're just watching Durant kind of get loaded up on um, and, and, and lose the ball and really not have any, any way out. Essentially, so I'm don't forget, Chris. See, don't like, forget ISO after ISO against the best defensive team in the league, like that. Yeah, there good, just good, was good nothing plan. else. Yeah. There, there was nothing else, and it was just kind of like you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it would be going too far into the past, but like I remember thinking that this was a first-time coach who never had a head coaching job before getting premier talent, and I remember questioning that aspect of what the Nets were doing at the time. But anyway, neither here nor there, you know. What does that look like when they when we talk about them maybe having the most talent in the East or in the league even, but you know 
just kind of on a level playing field, like nobody would say that they have the best coach. Uh, I think it's really interesting that they brought in Igor Kokosov uh, to this team. Mm. Looking at them in the preseason, they had stuff that looked a lot different. But it'll also be interesting, like if for whatever reason they're struggling, for any number of reasons, we've all talked about Kyrie and how, you know, him putting his finger to the the wind and trying to figure out what he wants to say on a given day. Uh, There are all sorts of things that could break this team down. But also, like, if Nash is underperforming or or failing this group in some way, does that kind of open the door for there to be a coaching change with someone that is maybe a little bit more experienced as a head coach uh, who has a little bit more creativity the way he calls plays? I'm I'm just interested to see it. Maybe that would be a a step too far, given that the team just vouched for Nash and said that they wouldn't let him go in light of what KD was asking for. But in some ways, maybe that softens some of the hard feelings that were there before anyway. I don't know. It'll be an interesting team to watch. I don't see them as the favorite. I can't just because I feel like other teams at the top are, are more closely knit and have talent that at least comes close enough to what the Nets have to where I feel better about them, the Bucks in particular. I think the Nash concerns are legitimate, especially, you know, I mean, look, when your best player says, I want you fired, when your second best player has consistently been dismissive of you in the way Kyrie has mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> over the last couple of years, I, I, it, it undermines your credibility. And look, I, I was at every game of that Nets Celtics series, like I was to the point of almost screaming at the floor to get Kevin Durant off it for five minutes. Like, like how bad is Cam Thomas that he can't play five minutes and give Kevin Durant a break? Like I was, I was that perplexed at how Steve Nash was coaching that team. I think a big key for this team though is getting off to a good start. If they can start the season like fifteen and five, a lot of what we're talking about here will be forgotten pretty quickly. And they yeah. have the 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 ability to do that. I mean. You look like they're a little thin up front, but I like Nick Claxton a lot, free throws notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, a a really solid big that can rebound and do a bunch of different things. Um, Simmons is versatile. He'll play multiple positions for them. They've got as much shooting as any team in the NBA, when you think about it, uh, when you, they can put four guys out there that are elite shooters with Durant, Irving, Harris, and Seth Curry. Like, how many other teams can potentially Patty do Mills. that? Yeah. Patty Mills in that mix as well. I mean, they're going to be able to put up points in bunches on teams this year, but I'm really going to be locked in on how they start this season. If they scuffle a little bit and there's some whispers about Nash and, you know, how he's coaching this team and the chemistry with this group. And, you know, we're talking about Simmons again, not shooting threes and, um, you know, shooting poor from the free throw line. Um, Howard, then I think it's, it's, then I think we'll have some concerns, but if they can start fast, I, I think 20 games into the season by like late November, early December, everybody will be looking at this Nets team as a contender. For sure. And nobody will be talking at that point about Kevin Durant's trade request anymore, right? But if it's the inverse, if they go 5-15 and 15 to start the season, or even, you know, 10-10, uh, and 10, then it's going to be, well, are you really happy here? And is this what you were fearing when you, you know, went and made your trade request, right? Um, but speaking of that, just a real quick footnote here, like, Nash has not decorated himself in his first couple of years as a head coach in the NBA. That's clear. And maybe he was the wrong choice to begin with, although he came with Kevin Durant's endorsement. Um, when Kevin Durant went to them and said, fire the coach and the GM or if you don't trade me, something that, by the way, I've never heard of happening in all my years covering the NBA where a star said, fire everybody, the coach and the front office. That was a ploy. He wasn't like if he really wanted Nash fired, that's something he would have done in April, May or June. This was in August when he had not gotten anywhere on his trade request and was like, what other nuclear buttons do I have left? Oh, I don't know. I'll make him an ultimatum in which it's either me or them and see what happens because they're not going to want to fire everybody. So therefore, that'll push them to trade me. Like this just to me seemed like a a bad ploy gone wrong, a, a gamble they made. It was their last best shot at trying to force a trade. And when it didn't happen, Durant went, eh, okay, guess I'm coming back. I don't really think it was about, I can't play for Nash again. He was trying to force the trade. It didn't work. It failed miserably. Right, well, even if that's true, Howard, like you still said, I can't play for Nash again. Like that, that's, that still is out there, right? Like he, you can't put it into the universe, just take hasn't, it back and hasn't say, said don't it, worry, Steve, hasn't said it, hasn't said it publicly and has, <laughs> has spoken <laughs> graciously since publicly. Well, Steve and, and Nash, 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 Nash and, exactly and Mark's it. basically, yeah, they, they basically kind of confirmed it like at media day. They, they kind of acknowledged oh, no, they didn't, that. No, no, no. I'm not saying they denied it. 
I'm just saying that they, nobody is trying to keep going down that road, and Durant is not stirring that pot at all or even trying to cast any more doubt. Like, no, there's no it, upside It may it. come to pass. No, but like there have been plenty of stars and coaches that haven't gotten along before or that didn't have the greatest bond and, again, still won. Like, it, it, like that's not going to be the reason that they don't win. Mannix, is there a chance Frank Vogel coaches this team? Or is he still scarred from the Lakers? Is he like, I'm not trading the Russ experience for the Kyrie experience? Yeah, I'm not going to make this about Frank Vogel, but I do love every, <laughs> like, now that Russ is coming off the Hire bench. Frank. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because Frank yeah. didn't believe in Russ, right? That was the yeah. big thing. Frank was Frank didn't empower Russ. Played him 81 or 78 games, 35 minutes a game, but didn't right. empower him enough and didn't show faith in him. That drove me crazy. Nah, but I think Frank is uh, resting comfortably uh, this year, collecting a paycheck and, uh, and enjoying himself um, in this year off. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's talk about the Celtics, the defending Eastern Conference champions. As recently as a month ago, this was a pretty good offseason for Boston. You know, you go into it, the Durant stuff doesn't materialize, but you can certainly argue they're better off without doing that deal, especially if they had to give up too much. Um, They acquire Malcolm Brogdon effectively for a first-round pick. They go out and get Danilo Gallinari as a free agent. And then over the last few weeks, things have unraveled, beginning with Gallinari's uh, likely season-ending knee injury. And then the big one, Ime Udoka, suspended for the season uh, for violating team rules, team policy um, with the Celtics. Um, I guess we keep the focus on the coaching change. Ime Udoka, who was instrumental to this team's success, really broke them of some bad habits they had in the first two months of the season that helped catapult them into the one of the best teams in basketball in the final five months of the season. Um, he is replaced by Joe Mazzulla, 34 years old, was a back bench guy last year, was going to get promoted because Will Hardy left for the Utah job, but Joe Mazzulla was a back bench guy last year. Chris Herring, like, is, like, how big a deal is this? Like, you know, this is a team that is bringing back the core of the group that made it to the finals. But, you know, we just talked about Steve Nash. Coaching matters 
in the NBA? How big a deal is Ime Udoka going out and Joe Mazzulla coming in? I think it's potentially a huge deal. I think, you know, like, granted, I think if you had to kind of, like, create a, a perfect storm of stuff that gets NBA attention and the, the attention of TMZ and the fans, you would incorporate the idea of something potentially sketchy happening with a coach and someone consensual or not and the coach being married or engaged to a, a celebrity. Like, it had all that. But to me, what made this really interesting was the idea of exactly what you just said. Ime Udoka was really important to this team. Like, they looked like they were off the rails last year. I was guilty, and I think a lot of us were guilty, of thinking that when Marcus Smart spoke up about the you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum not moving the ball enough, that it had the potential to really kill stuff in the locker room, to hurt the team, to, you know, you started to have the discussion. I remember... Uh, we had the discussion on open floor about whether one of them should be traded, what should happen. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the calendar starts to turn and the Celtics are essentially the best team in basketball because Udoka basically broke them of those habits and said, this isn't good enough. This isn't going to get it done, which is exceptionally rare for a first time rookie head coach to say. Uh, so it just makes me wonder, like, what does this look like now? Does the team carry over enough of the the good habits that they picked up under Ime's time there? Uh, do they even run it? Do they have enough talent to kind of overcome a lot of the problems that they might have anyway? Is kind of what I'm wondering about. I, I don't think we know enough about Joe Mazzulli yet. What I will say just in some of the preseason stuff, he'd already kind of been tinkering with just different looks and different lineups. Um, and, you know, the Celtics obviously being a team that's pretty comfortable having two bigs on the floor at a time. Saw plenty of uh, action where they really were just going with one at a time. So I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it looks. I, I think that there's a case to be made that they've got enough talent, especially now after adding Brogdon, that the coaching might not matter right up front. Uh, at the very beginning, it could be something that's more of a playoff question. But I, I think it's hugely consequential, and I, I think we'll get a chance to see that at some point over the course of the year, how, how good Missoula is as a coach and how much it actually matters given how much talent he's got. Yeah, listen, this is going to be one of those really great tests of like how much a coach matters, period, right? Like coaches matter. Having a really great coach can make a difference. Having a really crappy coach can make a difference. Most coaches in the NBA are in the in the wide middle. Um, but the Celtics are a team that made the finals with Ime Udoka and we'll now see if they can make a finals without Ime Udoka. And some of that will be a reflection on his absence and on the cloud that it cast over them. Some of it will be a reflection on Joe Mazzulla and his abilities. Um, and a lot of it will be a reflection simply on their, their core group and whether the chemistry that we saw that got them to the finals, whether that's sustainable. Because there are still doubts. There's still, you know, I talked to a scout last week, and again, this is you know, during the course of Maddox and I canvassing the scouts for the preview issue. But you know, somebody I talked to was like, listen, I'm still not entirely convinced that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have got this figured out you know, in perpetuity or that Marcus Smart will stay on point in perpetuity. Um, it was fragile enough that they needed Emi Udoka to, you know, go old school on them, to call everybody on the carpet, and that Marcus Smart had to call out guys. Like, all that happened. So you fix it once, it can come apart again. Um, it's it's not, a, it, you know, nothing of this is permanent. And it's still a fairly young team at its core, at least with their most important players. And then you got the Robert Williams stuff and his health. You know, there are plenty of, of wild cards in all of this. And um, having instability at, at the coaching position, I think, just uh, cast some of that stuff into doubt. And besides, on top of that, listen, everybody almost universally across the league believes if Chris Middleton had been healthy, it's the Bucks, not the Celtics in the finals. We'll never know for sure. That's not to say that there's any asterisk or anything. It's just to say, hey, look, some stuff had to go their way. It may not go their way this season. And you've got the Sixers, who should be stronger. The Nets, who, as we just discussed, should be stronger. You've got a rising Raptors team. The, the Heat aren't going anywhere, I don't think. Um, it's a lot to get through. Uh, enough that I'm not expecting the Celtics to repeat. Yeah, so, and, yeah ahead, I was Chris, just going to say, Ime um, Odoka's importance is there in the abstract and in the specifics when you look back at last season. Like, in the abstract the way he built that defense um, years past under Brad Stevens, they were a more traditional blitzing defense. Um, 
didn't switch everything, uh, played a more basic system. Ime comes in and revamps the defense and says, we're switching everything. And it took them some time to figure it out. But once they did, they became an absolutely terrifying defense. Um, in terms of specifics, Ime Odoka, from a very early time in his tenure, was a supporter of Marcus Smart. And look, he stuck by Marcus Smart as his primary playmaker through a lot of tough times early on. I know this because, I mean, God, I would I would all but show up at the NBC Sports Boston studios in like Alonzo Ball jersey. Like that's how how down on Marcus Smart I was as a point guard. Like I was, <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it was the right decision to say to Marcus Smart, you're our guy. I thought he was better as kind of a Swiss Army knife type of player. He proved everybody wrong, you know, taking that team to the finals and proving that he was a high-level playmaker. Robert Williams, who you mentioned. Robert Williams coming into last season had a reputation for being a little bit soft, of not playing through injuries. And I remember vividly being there, and Ime Odoka talking about Robert Williams, impromptu bringing up, Robert's got to play through this, Robert's got to play through that, got to play through pain, got to be tougher. And that had a, an effect in April, May, and June when Robert Williams was out there dragging that left knee around, helping the Celtics get to the finals. So he was instrumental in every possible way in getting that team to where they are. Now, Joe, I've known Joe for a few years now, incredibly bright guy, had a lot to do with the defensive changes they made last year. That was kind of his, uh, you know, his department or part of his responsibilities last year. And to Chris Herring's point, I don't know that we're going to be able to draw any conclusions in the first couple of months of the season because this team is just built to to play well in the regular season. Like, they've figured some things out. They've they've learned how to play together. They've learned the defense. They've learned each other. Brogdon, assuming he's what he's saying is true, he's, he's bought into being kind of a reserve once again uh, with this team or, or at least not being a primary pl- a point guard. Where we're going to figure it out is the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, the Celtics went to, what, a couple of Game 7s in the conference finals and the conference semifinals, that's where coaching comes into play. That's where you have to be a great strategist, where you have to be uh, great at making adjustments. And that's when we'll learn about Joe. It could Look, Joe, I mean, he was a finalist for the Jazz job last year. He's probably a couple of years away at most from getting a head coaching job somewhere else. So this is not somebody just kind of, you know, they're taking a flyer on. This is somebody that a lot of people across the league are very high on. But Rohan, I just... I saw firsthand how important Ime Udoka was to this team's success last year. And just kind of swapping him out, um, I think there's there should be some... Uh, concern might be too strong a word at this point, but there should be some questions about uh, whether it will be as seamless as people hope. I mean, I think there's absolutely questions. They were 18-21 and 21, nearly halfway into the season last year. I remember, and January. Again, yeah. yeah, a lot of people in and out of Boston credit Udoka for that turnaround. I mean, you think about Brad Stevens, who was universally agreed upon, one of the best coaches in the league. You look at, uh, you know, during his entire tenure, one of the best coaches in the league. He arguably had teams that were maybe even a little bit more talented or had more depth than Yudoka did, couldn't make the finals. And Yudoka does it in his first year. I mean, he goes through Giannis. He goes through a very well-coached Heat team that was the number one seed. They win two huge road games facing elimination. Game seven in Miami, game six against Milwaukee. I also think... Just to go on court for a second here, I think there has to be a little bit of concern as well about the front court right now. I mean, they went from having maybe the deepest and best front court in the league to Horford. Yeah. Horford had a full year off before last season. Now he's coming off this big playoff run. He's 36 years old. Can are they? Do they have the luxury of managing his minutes? Will he be able to be fresh enough for the playoffs like he was last year? Williams is hurt. Can he stay healthy through an entire playoff run? I think Grant Williams is is very very good. He's in a contract year, uh, which can kind of cut either way. I know a lot of people are talking. Is Sam Hauser the guy? Uh, you know, I'm curious to see who steps up because a huge key to their defense. It's a lot of teams kind of hide bad defenders on on corner three point shooters. The Celtics don't hide Robert Williams. He's he's a one man wrecking crew. Uh, frankly, I think the best defender on that team, even better than the defensive player of the year, and Marcus Smart. Horford is a massive uh, key to that defense. If those guys are not the same, 
then their defense is not the same, and there's a little bit of a cascading effect, and that's a, that's a very difficult thing for Joe Mazzilla to have to deal with. Yeah, I agree. Um, the front court does concern me. Um, Robert Williams is out for at least a couple of months now. I thought the Blake Griffin signing was curious. Um, Blake's fine, and I think he's more versatile than some of the other guys that were out there, but I would have... I would have gone the Dwight Howard direction, you know, mm. even if Robert Williams and when Robert Williams comes back, the Eastern Conference is loaded with really strong big men, you know, physical teams, whether it's, you know, Philadelphia, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of physical teams uh, in the, the top tier of the Eastern Conference. And, you know, Blake, you know, like the Celtics have earned the benefit of the doubt, you know, in terms of personnel moves that made all the right ones over the last couple of years. But I thought that was uh, definitely curious to do but look they've got the talent to get right back to the finals it's just we'll see how it all kind of comes together with the new voice uh there uh on the sideline any other thoughts on the celtics i could just talk about them all day long because i have to do that (laughs) i'm i spend way too much time over there um all right so i want to talk about the philadelphia 76ers right now it's been pretty interesting few months in philadelphia when they got knocked out of the playoffs last year i think there were questions about just how good this team could be. I mean, James Harden uh, did not look like the James Harden we saw during his years in Houston, even that first year in Brooklyn. You had Joel Embiid out there saying, uh, you know, well, don't expect James Harden to be that guy anymore. He's a little bit different at this stage. Then they go out and they have a pretty strong offseason. They get a guy like P.J. Tucker, who is just like that missing piece on a lot of winning teams, at least he has been uh, over the last few years. Harden's looked pretty good in preseason. Embiid, uh, looks like he's going to be good. Uh, the same Joel Embiid. Tyrese Maxey looks like he's someone that's going to take another uh, big step. Uh, Herring, how bullish are you, if at all, on the 76ers? I really like them, man. I, like, and it's weird because I there was a part of me that, you know, just watching how Harden looked last year that I was just kind of out on them generally. I think a lot of people were. Uh, we have that annual kind of, you know, James Harden isn't that good conversation, which – that's probably strong, but like you can't trust him in the playoffs. There's a part of me that like wants to trust this team a little bit. A lot of it is rooted in what you just brought up with Maxi. I think uh, he is a guy that I feel like can take some of the pressure off of Harden, not to where you would necessarily trust him more in the playoffs, but if he's going to be that aggressive and can put up 30 spots like he did uh, whatever game that was against the Raptors, if he's going to do that, you might not need Harden to be quite as great at times or to do as much or to be that guy all the time alongside Embiid. Um, part of me just kind of feels like Embiid. I know we, we have a, a, a roundtable that's going to go out soon about our predictions for this season. I, I put Embiid as my MVP favorite this year. I kind of feel like obviously it's burned him to not be named MVP either the last two years. Uh, I think he realizes now that like he's got to be basically healthy all the time, which is kind of crazy to think about the fact that he's basically been pretty healthy the last couple of years um, and that it hasn't quite been enough. If you had said that along with the fact that he would have James Harden on the team, you'd probably expect more out of this team. But I, I just kind of feel like this team, uh, some of the depth they had, they went out and got Melton. We were talking about him in the, the first part of this podcast. Uh, the fact that they have him, can they get enough out of Tobias Harris? Can they get a little bit out of, Montrez Harrell, uh, who they got this offseason. I just kind of feel like there's enough here to, to, to put a real scare into somebody if Harden is even remotely good in the playoffs. I just kind of feel like Embiid, he's ready to some extent. I feel like Doc has been criticized to the point where it's almost a little bit too much, even if you, you, you take issue with some things, how, how much he was willing to use DeAndre Jordan at times. I understand it. He's not on this <laughs> roster anymore. Um, I, I, I just kind of feel like this. <laughs> He's gotten Doc fired once before. <laughs> they were like, by, by the way, remember DeAndre? DeAndre was was didn't like Denver sign him like right away? Like wasn't he like one Dude, of the? That, early it was the weirdest <laughs> signing of the whole off season because like I actually love Denver's off season, but that was like you know the way that Woj and Shams kind of go back and forth, and they've got those their drafts ready because those essentially because there's been all this. Uh, tampering going on but who's tampering for for deandre jordan shout like, out was calvin my booth for just like yeah. <laughs> like i'm gonna go out there and i'm getting deandre jordan no. i'm gonna shout, beat off hey, shout man. out to the nuggets shout out to the nuggets pa guy who introduced deandre jordan as deandre Ooh, yeah, yeah that was tough. tough 
Oh, tough. wow. That uh, I, I guess to go full circle, I, I I believe in this team more than I really thought I would. Daniel House is another guy they got too yeah, this offseason. I just they've the got Nuggets some depth. The Rockets, they've got some depth to this team that uh, well, that let me, they Chris, haven't let me always ask you had. This. Let me ask you this: like, what are what should expectations be for James Harden? Like, what kind of player should he be at this stage, or can he be at this stage? Is what we saw of him at the end of last season just what he is? Because I keep hearing about like oh, the lingering hamstring injury, all that. James Harden's still a guy that's played a lot of minutes in his career. He's got a lot of miles. Yeah. on his tires. I do think that the 75% of Houston version that we got last year from James Harden is kind of what we should be expecting moving forward. And that might be enough because that's still an all-star. It's just not like an MVP candidate. Right. And that's that's where the question, and you know, I know Sixers fans would hate to hear it, that you have to rely a little bit on Tobias Harris. If Maxi takes, like I think Maxi becomes one of the most important players in the league this year because if he takes that step forward and you can get some of the production that you really wanted out of Harden from Maxi instead, I think that's okay. Maybe in a playoff setting, it comes up where you just have to go one on one with guys and you need Harden to do some of that. But really, you know, if we're being completely fair to Harden with the hamstring stuff and everything else and all the hijinks in Brooklyn and everything else, uh, at times they have asked for a lot out of him during the regular season. At least Brooklyn was during that time. And that's part of why Harden was so frustrated with the Kyrie thing and obviously Durant being out is that he had to kind of put uh, – he had a heavy burden on his back for most of the regular season. And then all of a sudden you need something out of him in the playoffs. And he's never really been that guy in the playoffs the way that you would hope for a superstar. So – I don't know. I, I'm not sure what he is by the time they get to the playoffs. I'm convinced that in the regular season, he can always give you a really good showing if he needs to. Um, we saw that for the first couple games where he had a really nice burst when he got to Philly, where it very much looked like one of those, oh, he was really just waiting to get out of Brooklyn sort of performances. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I believe in them more than I thought I would because I, for some reason, I kind of feel like Harden's got something for the playoffs this time. And I think part of the reason he will is because I think Maxi and, and I think Harris has the potential now of really, you know, he's been kind of a fourth scorer anyway, <laughs> which has been the problem for being a max guy. But I think Maxi's kind of ready to shoulder the idea of being the third guy consistently at this point. And Rohan, the problem with Tobias Harris has not been Tobias Harris, the player. People just focus on his salary, which, you know, if you're a fan, what do you care? How much money Tobias Harris is making? It's, like he's for for where they have him slotted as the fourth option. Point to me many better or more consistent fourth options out there in the NBA. Tobias Harris can do a lot of things offensively, and that's a a luxury to have if you're Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was like a twenty point per game scorer for a stretch of his career. Uh, someone who, when he was on the Magic or Pistons or Clippers, everyone was high on it. It's I agree, like his production is maybe not max production, but again, you throw out the contract, he's a very talented offensive player to have. And the worst case scenario with Tobias Harris is he's also like a legitimate trade chip to have, someone who could bring that team back even more depth. I think I'm I'm pretty high on the Sixers, to be honest. I think Embiid, there's this like health thing that follows around Embiid. Is he injury prone? Is it fluky? I mean, he was, I think, at worst, maybe the second best player in the NBA last season, second or third best over the course of the season. And uh, he was playing really well until he got hit in the face. And, you know, he's the fracture. He misses the time in the Miami series. Doesn't Clearly doesn't look like himself toward the end of it. That series still went six games. It's not like it was a cakewalk uh, for the Heat necessarily. So I'm pretty high on the Sixers. I agree. I They don't need MVP Harden. They don't need, you know, 31 10 and 8 Harden. They don't need that version of him. Uh, I'm with Chris. I think Maxi can give them a lot. Uh, I loved the P.J. Tucker signing for them. Anytime you can make a direct rival worse while improving yourself, it's you know those are kind of the sneaky moves that contenders make uh, in the summer that are really important. I also thought we mentioned him in our Western Conference preview very briefly. Getting DeAnthony Melton for a first-round pick, like basically getting him for free, like why would you not <laughs> make that trade? I, Daniel House obviously knows how to play off Harden. I think they have a lot of depth. I think Doc is going to need to have a quick hook on Montrez Harrell in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's perfectly fine for the regular season. But, you know, we, we talked a lot about context and failures. And, you know, Philly, there's there's always some kind of, like, you know, act of God level event. You know, it's like when you sign a contract <laughs> and it's like, act of God. And it's like, 
you know, there's always just some kind of unexplained, like, leftover style, like, inexplicable event that somehow keeps them from getting to the conference finals. And barring something like that, I think this is the year they make it. I really do. I, I agree with everybody on this, so I won't belabor it, but I'm I'm also high on the Sixers. I think they're a, a true contender. And, you know, we got really lulled into the idea for a while in the NBA that you had to have two, three, or even four All-Stars to win a championship. And what we've seen in recent years is more of, of ensemble approaches, um, not super teams. Even the Warriors who just won it again, what they win it with? Steph Curry as an absolute superstar, but a degraded version of Clay coming back from injury and certainly degraded version of Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins who made the all-star team and probably won't make another one again. No, no disrespect to him, but like it was not a super team. It was not that version of the Warriors. Um, what the Sixers are right now is kind of that Embiid's your superstar guy who's been back to back years as the MVP runner up. And uh, like you, Chris Herring, I also have Embiid as my MVP pick for this season. Um, and and then it's an ensemble, and you guys have named them all. It's a little bit of James Harden and a little bit of Tobias Harris and a little bit of Tyrese Maxey. It doesn't have to be MVP Harden. And in fact, as somebody who's always argued that Harden in his best years was doing too much, I'm certainly not mm. here to, to, to start saying we need to, to see that guy again. I, I think they're better off with a somewhat lesser version. Even that being said, by the way, um, James Harden's numbers last year it's kind of funny when you think about it in the historical context. Ten years ago, if you said, I'm going to give you a guy who's going to average 22 points, 10 assists, and almost eight rebounds, you'd be like, damn, sign me up for that guy. <laughs> and his efficiency, that was Harden's numbers last year uh, combined with uh, Brooklyn and Philly. His efficiency, his effective field goal percentage, was the lowest since his rookie year. So to be clear, it was the scoring was there on, on, on a lot of shooting and not efficient shooting. But... He was checked out for half the season. He wasn't in the greatest shape. He was obviously not happy in Brooklyn. He gets to, to Philly. He's got to acclimate and all that stuff. He came to camp in Philly, presumably you know, by all you know accounts, all appearances, in better shape, certainly more engaged, certainly happy to be playing, as far as we can tell, with that group than he was in Brooklyn. So, you know, we hit the reset button a little bit with that. All that said... Um, our buddy Zach Lowe documented it a few years back, and so it's all there if somebody wants to find it. But you can't get around the fact that James Harden, when it comes to really important playoff games, has failed time and time again. So uh, the question still becomes, they can have a great regular season. Will Harden be there when it matters in the postseason? Or will that also not matter because, you know what? Embiid's going to be the go-to guy down yep. the stretch. Or Tyrese Maxey's going to be the one to hit the clutch shots. Or somebody else. And that might be the case, too, in which case we won't have to dwell on Harden's failings in the postseason because they'll spread around that responsibility. Yeah, that uh, matters, one thing, too. In, in, in Houston, Harden was the best player in every one of those playoff teams. He will not be the best player in, in Philadelphia. Like, you'll, Embiid will carry that mantle. And Embiid, yeah. I think Embiid's because he can shoot free throws, shoot threes, do a little bit of everything. He's the perfect guy to be the leader uh, on that team. Rowan, what were you going to say? I just want to add, we talked about Steve Nash. We talked about coaching. Does it matter? I don't think Doc Rivers is a bad coach. I think there's been room for him to improve in Philadelphia. It, he kind of weirdly went away from the hard and, and beat pick and roll at times, strangely in the playoffs, which that play alone I think should be one of the most devastating in the NBA this season. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think if Daryl Morey wanted him gone, he maybe could have engineered it, or maybe it's an ownership money thing, but... I do think it's worth keeping an eye on Doc, who has his own checkered playoff history. And just to really hammer home the point, by the way, about James Harden's playoff issues, this is a list of players who outscored him in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference semifinals last year. Uh, Jimmy Butler, okay, that's fine. P.J. Tucker, Max Struess, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, all outscored James Harden. Uh, Shake Milton outscored James Harden in that game six, 11 points with the Sixers season on the line. So there's really, he can only go up. He can only go up from how his playoffs ended. Enough with the Shake Milton slander, Rohan. Jeez. <laughs> Shake's a baller. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. 
and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, I want to finish with, uh, I'm going to steal a device that you used in the last podcast, Rohan, looking at the the second tier teams. Uh, which of them that do you think can break in and potentially either make a conference finals run or even make a run into the finals? Because the Eastern Conference is pretty top heavy with teams that look elite level, but there are a few teams at the bottom of that bracket that have some pretty good talent. I'm talking about Cleveland. I'm talking about Toronto. I'm talking about Chicago. And I'm talking about Atlanta. All those teams, well, maybe not Chicago, made some moves this offseason to improve their roster. Goran Dragic slander. Where did the Goran Dragic slander on the ball? The Goran Dragic slander is, is real. Oh, Chicago, yeah. well, they need, they're going to need Goran Dragic with Lonzo Ball yeah. maybe never playing again. Yeah. Um, so when you look at those four teams, and Howard, we'll start with you. Uh, look at th- those four teams. Which of them do you give a chance to to break through and to kind of be a spoiler in the postseason? Cleveland, Chicago, who else you say? Atlanta? Toronto and Atlanta. I mean, Cleveland's the obvious choice just because they were having somewhat of a breakthrough season already and then they go and they get Donovan Mitchell. So they're going to be the darlings of a lot of uh, pundits, I believe, and a lot of fans, and I think justifiably so. But they're still kind of on the young side. The Raptors are also young, but I feel like the Raptors have a little bit more momentum and a little bit more veteran support in this case. So just to zag while people are zigging, I guess, I think I'd go with the Raptors. I mean, they won 48 games last season, and with a rookie Scotty Barnes doing everything and playing every position and handling the ball and defending all over the place, and, and he's only getting better. And Siakam finally kind of got back to being Siakam, and they've got this crazy array of seemingly interchangeable long uh guys with massive wingspans who can switch everything bunch of guys who can shoot bunch of guys who can defend bunch of guys who can make plays and handle um they're weird like nobody's built like the raptors and so maybe that's the thing um i like the Cavs too don't get me wrong and i think they've got a chance to 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 be a lot of fun this season but uh I'm going to go with the Raptors as the team that, especially because of how uniquely built they are, could not, you know, just be, you know, obviously a playoff team as, as they were, um, but one that is going to make teams above them nervous. I'm going to echo Howard here, actually. I do think the Cavs, like you mentioned, they were on a 50-win pace last year before Jared Allen got hurt. Uh, if everyone stays healthy, they have a chance to be really, really good. In Toronto, I think Scotty Barnes is positioned to – to really make a leap here. Uh, He was looking great down the second half of last season. I don't know that means he's going to be the number one guy on a championship team good. I don't know that means they even make the finals, but I think Howard hit the nail on the head. They're weird. They're different. I think they give everyone trouble because of how different they look. Uh, Chris Herring, you know, wrote about this early during the playoffs last year. Their length presents issues for a lot of teams, and they have a coach 
championship pedigree in Nick Nurse, who I think pound for pound, one of the best coaches in the league. He's always coming up with something interesting for the opponent they're playing. Uh, I love the Otto Porter Jr. signing for them. I mean, he fits in perfectly already to what they do. Another lengthy guy who can shoot. Um, the defense, I I just think they're going to be really, really interesting. Uh, think about where they were like two years ago. They had to play a full season in Tampa. They've kind of had all uh, weird stuff headed into last year. I think they've kind of really hit their stride. I, I like Toronto as the chance to break through. And that's, I, I'm, you know, a little bit, not down on Atlanta, but, I, you know, I mentioned in our Western Conference podcast, I thought their run to the Eastern Conference finals was a little fluky. I'm not convinced about the Trey Young DeJounte Murray fit. Um I'm I'm not convinced Nate McMillan can kind of recreate that magic. Uh Cleveland, I think it's gonna take some time with Donovan Mitchell. So and, and Chicago I think is maybe in in trouble a little bit without Lonzo. And if DeRozan regresses even a little bit, uh that could be difficult for them. So that that's my reasoning for Toronto, at least out of this group. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be honest. My my pick probably would have been Toronto too. I thought Toronto was going to beat, um, beat the Sixers last year, um, which then came off the the wheels came off that prediction really really quickly. Cause, and then uh, came back on everybody. Though. And then, and then, yeah, they they, yeah. they got they, they won a couple games towards the end yeah. of that series, but it was it was very clear it was probably not going to work given some of the injuries they had, Scotty Barnes, and and I think Fred VanVleet got hurt in that series too. But mm-hmm. that that's probably who I would pick here. I, I'll just riff for a minute on Atlanta just because I think similar to what Rohan just said, I I worry a little bit about the fit. I think it could work. I'm just a little bit interested to see how how much Trey plays off the ball. Um, like we haven't seen a whole whole lot of it. Obviously, they added more talent to the roster the year they made it to the conference finals. I think that's a little bit different than adding a like a whole another point guard who also looks for his own shot a decent amount. Uh, so it's not like him playing next to Rondo or, or you know something like that. It's a little different. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious to see how it works. Absolutely could help them from a defensive standpoint, just since Trey won't have to uh, try to guard quite as many people that are on the ball, although they do hide him on defense a lot anyway, or try to. Uh, I did think it was interesting just because of my, my former shop, 538. Uh, I think they posted their predictions either earlier this week or, or today or whatever. Um, they have the Hawks as being tied for second in the East for the second most wins in the East, which I was kind of blown away by to be honest with you. Uh, they have them t- actually second by themselves in terms of just like how strong they think the team is top to bottom with the roster. So, I'm, you know, something will happen with this team. They've got them as a 51-win team this year. I'd be a little bit surprised if it was that high uh, because I don't love that team. Uh, maybe they get a, a jump and a boost from certain guys. I think uh, Okongwu, their, their backup center, has been a guy that I've been really intrigued by for a while. Capella seemingly always has a little bit of time that he misses during a season. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. I think they're interesting. I thought they were interesting when they made it to the conference finals. I kind of pegged them as a team that I thought would regress last year just because you had so many guys that kind of want the ball. Collins, uh, you've got Hunter. Cam Reddish has been pretty vocal behind the scenes about wanting a bigger role, and we're even kind of hearing those rumblings in New York. You've already got Trey there. Uh, so you've simplified it a little bit, but Bogdanovich is, is probably going to miss a, a little bit of time here and there just because he always does. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious to see what happens with that team because they did taste a little bit of early success once they finally kind of turned uh, the afterburners on as far as spending. But now there are expectations that come with that group, and they barely made the playoffs last year. What happens if that sort of thing happens this year, if they miss the playoffs this year? I'm very intrigued to see what happens with them. Yeah. I think there's going to be an adjustment period for Trey Young and DeJounte Murray that could be extended, like a month, month and a mm-hmm. half, like as they figure out how to make it work, how two guys that are used to having the ball in their hands are going to coexist beyond, all right, it's your turn, my turn. Like nobody wants to see that in Atlanta. So I think that will keep them from getting off to a really fast start. Uh, Toronto I like a lot as you guys do, I think Precious Achua has a chance to be the most improved player this year. I think he's... That's who I picked. It, okay, yes. yeah. Like, he's he's a defensive beast. I mean, a great pickup. But what they get him? The Kyle Lowry trade, right, from uh, Miami. Um, 
that was he's that's a terrific. I don't think not a lot of people thought much of him when they made that deal, but yeah. he's got real elite defensive potential. And if he can be a seventy-plus game starter in the middle, that's going to make them just so much more dangerous defensively. Um, I still look at Cleveland though, because when you look at historically the teams that win championships or at least get to that finals, they're usually top ten in offense and defense. Cavs last year were top 10 in defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league and will probably be that way again this year because their front line is ridiculously talented and versatile and does a whole bunch of different things. Um, They were middle of the pack, close to bottom third in offensive efficiency. Mitchell's going to change that. Like, Mitchell's going to come in. And while there may be, you know, a bit of a transition while he and Darius Garland kind of figure it out, I look at their skill sets. I think they complement each other pretty well. Um, And if you've got now another guy that can create offense for himself and others. That's going to make you a really good defensive, te- a really good offensive team. So when I look at the Cavs, I see a team that is going to be, even with Mitchell, and Mitchell I think can get better defensively. I don't think he's awful. I don't think he tried mm-hmm. that hard last year, um, which you know can be understandable given the, the burdens that were put on him offensively. Um, defensively, they'll be top five, top six, whatever they may be. And I think offensively, they can crack that top ten. If you're talking about a team top ten offense and defense, how many teams in the yeah. league can say that? Like, mm-hmm. there's not many of them. So I'm pretty bullish on on the Cavs. I think that another a full offseason for Evan Mobley is going to make him stronger, better. Jared Allen, of course, back. And all these young guys. Another year of natural progression. Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland, all this group, this group of young guys. Like, they're, they're going to be better than what they were last year. And Rohan, you mentioned it. They were on, like, a 50-ish win pace before Jared Allen got hurt. Like, I see no reason to believe why they can't be on that pace or better uh, this year. Yeah, and just to help make the case for Cleveland, who I do also think uh, is going to be really good. I don't I don't think picking Toronto means Cleveland's not going to be good. They're kind of like a better version of what Donovan Mitchell had with the Jazz. I mean, they don't have one great defensive talent. They have two incredible defensive talents in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who I think can help cover up for Donovan Mitchell. I think Mitchell has almost gotten underrated. We're talking about the guy who was the best player and really kind of sole creator on the number one offense in the NBA. Um, I think him and Garland are like a way better fit than, say, Young and Murray, for example. Garland doesn't strike me as the kind of person who wants to be on the ball all the time. It's kind of a role Mm -hmm. he was forced to be in. I mean, they brought in Karis LeVert to help alleviate some of that burden. I mean, he wasn't the right fit there, ultimately. He's obviously still on the team. He can contribute. But, uh, yeah, I think they're in fantastic position. I think they're going to be really good. And I think an an underlying factor to all of this is there's a chance Evan Mobley – you know, turns into the guy. I mean, there, we talk so much about Scotty Barnes, mm-hmm. how he can do everything. Mobley's not quite as well-rounded offensively, but the athleticism, like, uh, he could take a leap that, uh, you know, where none of us are expecting, and that throws him into another level. Like, I loved the Donovan Mitchell trade. I wrote about it uh, for our website. I talked about it on podcasts. I thought it was a fantastic move for them. They didn't give up any of their young core. Um yeah, I think they're going to be really, really good, and I'm with you. I think Mitchell, you know, you look at someone like Devin Booker, who he might not be a great defender, but the Suns were able to play great defense with him on the floor, and he competes. I think Mitchell, I'm sure he's heard it. You know, he's heard the criticisms, and I, yeah. I, I think that he's probably ready to respond to that. He he was So the Cavs were the team I spent the most time with in the preseason, and uh, that question came up. I was actually kind of floored by how prepared – for the question Donovan Mitchell was, because, you know, he's new to the city. It's a, it's not a small market necessarily. It's, you know, it's a pro sports city. But somebody just pretty much directly asked him the question, like, you know, this defense has the potential to be really good outside of you. Like, what about with you? <laughs> and he, he, was a, he essentially owned it. He basically said, I wasn't always trying hard enough in Utah. Uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell has like a 6'10 wingspan or something crazy like that, despite only being 6'1". And so he's saying it's not ability. It's just, you know, I I was burdened with a lot. I don't have that excuse here. I've got enough offensive talent around me to where I shouldn't have to do as much, which theoretically should mean I've got more in the tank defensively and I'm capable of better. I just need to kind of learn the system here, but I know I've got good, capable defenders around me, which goes back to what you all were saying. It's not just one guy that can do it. Now that can kind of cause undue stress to everybody else if they've got to consistently chase. And there were moments in that Mav series where 
uh, Rudy Gobert looked like he was running suicides with with how much he was having to try to cover for Mitchell and everybody else. Mike Conley was was particularly bad as well at times in that series. But yeah, I you know Darius Garland was saying a lot of um, of, of what Chris brought up is the idea that. Uh, Garland doesn't even necessarily really want the responsibility of having to shoot as much as he did. If you look back at the play-in game that they lost uh, ultimately to miss the playoffs despite having you know the, the seventh-best record in the East, uh, Garland was brutal in that second half because they were basically throwing two defenders at him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want the responsibility of having to shoot 25 times a game. Mitchell uh, you know, will be a good release valve for him. I think their question for now is kind of who's going to be that fifth guy who plays with them? Uh, with with the four guys that are kind of the the, the stars that you know will be around. Uh, Karis Levert is is the guy that kind of looks like he's going to win the job as the starting small forward. JB Bickerstaff talked about how half the team was in the running for that last starting spot. Uh, I'm just curious to see. I feel like they could use a little bit more shooting because you've got two elite creators now, but you don't have that many spot-up guys. It makes me think that Kevin Love could actually be a good fit, not necessarily to be the fifth starter, but just someone to play a lot of minutes with those two guys because they need a little bit more shooting. If they could somehow steal one of the Raptors, like 12, 6, 8 guys to play in place of a Coro, <laughs> yeah. like they could maybe even be the number one seed in the regular season. Like that's how stacked that starting lineup would be. A Coro is going to be a guy to watch. I mean, he's going to get a ton of open shots. For sure. I, he, I hope he launched 10,000 corner threes this <laughs> offseason because I, they're going to need him to hit that shot. Well, yeah. They're going to be there. They'd be a good Jay Crowder landing spot if they could mm. figure it out. Potentially, yeah. they would be. Yeah. And, and look, as we get into the season, they can be in play for one of those guys that's being sold off. I mean, Kevin Love's got an expiring contract this year, twenty-eight million dollars. Like that's mm-hmm. something they could use potentially. I think I actually agree with you, Chris. I think Kevin is a pretty good fit because he's turned himself into a really high-level three-point shooter and. You know, if you can get that kind of floor spacing out there. And he's embraced the six-man role, which is big uh, for them. So, um, but if they, if they want to try something else, like they could use that contract to turn around and um, get something maybe that fits a little bit yeah. better short and long-term. Levert expiring, too. Uh, I mean, they got two huge expiring <laughs> deals. And they're all in. Like, it seems like they're yeah. all in. Like, not just the Mitchell trade, but they're like, you know, even last year when, you know, Rubio went down, like, they just kept pushing their chips in. Like, they kept trying to get... Make I themselves. like that team a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Rubio's going to come back this season. If not this year for them, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a this year thing for them. Like I think they'll make the playoffs. Which you know, let's be real, they haven't done that um, since the late '90s uh, without LeBron. So that's a big step for them if they do it. Uh, but I do like that. You know, twenty. I think Mitchell's the oldest guy they have. He just turned twenty six. 24, 22, 20. Like, this is such a young team uh, that I don't think it has to be this year for them. I think a playoff run would be a, a great stepping stone for them. But future-wise, you know, it, it's hard not to like them as a, a real serious contender in the conference for a long time if, if Mitchell decides to stay there after a couple of years. Some kind of Levert for Crowder trade actually makes all right. a all right. ton We're of doing sense. fantasy trades a now. Ton this is now. We reached the, a ton of sense for both yeah. teams. Put the trade machine away, Rohan. Put the trade machine down. All right. Uh, Make sure you check out the Western Conference preview. We did that uh, yesterday on the podcast feeds, crossover and open floor. Uh, Fellas, good stuff. The NBA season is upon us. I'm looking forward to it. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.